Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot. I'm Matt Risby. Good evening and joining me as always via the miracle of satellite technology, the thing that won't die in the nightmare that won't end, it's Ed Davis. How the devil are you, sir? Good, yeah. Uh, I'm going to say that that is from Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Oh, so close. Uh, it's from The Terminator. Oh, that's that's weird because... For some reason, I always kind of think that The Terminator was kind of a classier film than it is. Maybe I'm getting it kind of conflated with the fact that the second one was like an A picture. Mm. But like that tagline is pure kind of Roger Corman. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you had to sell it before you knew it was going to be the big kind of cultural artifact that what it was, mm. then I suppose that's what... And it's called The Terminator. Do you know what I mean? True. It's yeah. on the nose as titles go. Um, we've got a bit of a weird episode uh, this week, Ed. We promised our listeners a piracy episode, and we do have one. It's next week. Um, so, you know, if you do have some last-minute, 11th-hour uh, stuff to send in, please do. We've got a whole bunch, and we'll be bringing it to you next week. But we decided that we would shoehorn in a bonus episode, which is a little different. What are we doing this week, Ed? Well, we're doing an episode on The X-Files, the 10th season of which just wrapped up on Fox over here in the US and is currently airing in the UK. So, uh, warning, I guess there's going to be spoilers ahead. Uh, And this episode, it's me and my good friend Michaela Livingston-Banks, who is, uh, I'm dubbing an X-Files expert, um, not having told her that's how I'm going to refer to her, so I hope that she doesn't mind. Yeah, well, she better live up to that billing. Do you know what I mean? Oh, she does. She does. Sweet. And I, I am not in this episode, uh, dear listener, because I stopped watching the X-Files after season two, um, <laughs> having been um, really happy to leave it at season two and just be like, I don't need to watch it anymore. That's cool, man. And, you know, if you're an X-Files fan and you think, Jesus, you're crazy. Um, uh, yeah, I don't really care. I enjoyed it up to season two. I've literally got nothing to say about it, unless you want to talk about those Victor Tombs episodes where he's all squeezy and stretchy. Um, I could do that for a bit, I guess. But as opposed to the kind of depth that Ed and Michaela are going to go into, um, I really can't offer much. Yeah, and I think that uh, on average, and as people will hear over the course of this conversation, you're probably good to jump off at two. Uh, because <laughs> right. if, you, if, if you'd gone through to this bitter end, and it is bitter, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure you'd be so uh, sanguine about the uh, about the show. Yeah, okay, man. So uh, without further ado, um, here's two nerds talking about the X-Files. My initial exam of the bite marks on his wound would suggest that they were made by a human being. So we're looking for a man-sized horned lizard with human teeth. Sounds a bit silly, doesn't it? Yeah. You're really enjoying yourself, aren't you, Scully? Yeah, I am. I forgot how much fun these cases could be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot. I'm not Matt Risby. Uh, I'm Edwin Davis. Matt is uh, not on this episode. This is a special bonus episode uh, in which we're going to be talking about the X-Files and the we in that scenario is me. And joining me through the miracle of satellite technology is Dr. Michaela Livingston-Banks. How are you, Michaela? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. Cool. Uh, Michaela and I are friends going back about 10 years now. Yeah, must be about that. And one of the things that I know about you most keenly is that you are a big fan of the x-files 
Yep, you could say that. And over Christmas and New Year, you and I were both talking about how much we were both looking forward to the revival, maybe with a bit of trepidation, but we were both <laughs> looking forward to seeing what would happen with the 10th season that has just wrapped up last week. And yeah. we thought it'd be fun to do an episode in which we talk about it and about the show in general. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I think what we're going to do for this one is we'll talk about, well, first off, let's talk about our own like personal experiences with the X-Files. When did you first start watching the show? Well, I had to think back long and hard because it was over, well, about two decades ago. Um, so I caught the episode Too Shy. I remember this really well. I caught the episode Too Shy um, when it was going out on telly and um, I managed to look back on you know, Wikipedia and figure out that that was in 1995 wow. when I was like nine years old. <laughs> so, or uh, yeah, nine years old. So, and I'm 29 now. So yeah, 20, 20 years ago. Um, oh, and what happens in Too Shy? Just remind me. Um, so that's the one where um, there's a serial killer and he has, he, like, he goes out and tries to pick people up, basically. Um, and when he sort of makes out with them, he pulls up all sorts sorts of juices and things like that. So, you know, they get um, basically suffocated in their own stomach juices or something like that. I can't remember the exact detail at this point. Um, I believe that one has a lot of chat rooms in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So they meet online and he goes out and picks them up and tries to snog them and eats drinks their juices he needs them i guess it's that kind of that kind of episode yeah uh, that one I, I watched that one fairly recently and that one is pretty gross <laughs> yes well i think that's the point and that's the the sort of keen memory i have on it is just being super grossed out like oh my god grossed out and for some strange reason as like a nine ten year old i was like i have to watch more of this <laughs> mm. uh, so yeah i think at that point i I started watching it um, when it was out, coming out on a weekly basis, and I continued to watch it every week, pretty much up until I guess season eight started going out. At which point, I think my dad decided that he wanted to watch the movies at ten on Sci-Fi, and he won. Um, <laughs> but but on the condition that he would buy me every single series of the X Files, and by Jove, he did. So I now now own all nine seasons plus the movies on DVD. Yeah, I remember when we were living together at uni, that was your birthday and Christmas presents would always be a new box set of the the X-Files for a few years. Oh, yes. And all how we enjoyed watching them randomly. Mm. Uh, I think I, I definitely know that I watched one episode of the X-Files when I was really young. I couldn't tell you which one it was. All I remember was people running through a forest and it scared me a lot. And there was probably mm. an alien in it. Yeah. And so that unlike you that put me off for a long time and I didn't start watching it regularly until season six and I watched okay. it through to the end um which was probably the wrong way to go about it because <laughs> like most people say those last couple of seasons are pretty rough but there was well, there was some yeah yeah I'm not sure I 100% agree I, I suppose it depends actually I quite like those ones but for different reasons to the earlier seasons um, yeah I, I think... think they get a bad rap basically yeah, I think in just the fact that there was a bit, there was a significant bit of turnover with the cast in that Mulder pretty much disappeared from the show and he died. Oh, yeah. sorry, spoiler, he died. <laughs> he actually died. Yeah, although death is is not uh, an impediment on the X Files in general. Yeah. 
No, evidently um, not. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, and then they brought in uh, Doggett and Rays, who were kind of, became the leads and Scully got put into kind of a supporting role. So I can see why people wouldn't like them so much. But there were some fun episodes in there. I, I always think very fondly back on the episode with Aaron Paul, where he's a guy who can control flies. That one I remember enjoying quite a lot. Um, but yeah, so so we're both we've both seen quite a lot of the show. I think I still have some gaps in the middle that I've been trying to fill in. But we've both watched a lot of the show. We both like it, and so we were, were over. As I said, over New Year, we were talking about it. We watched the twenty minutes or so of back uh, ba- backstage footage that got released by Fox in advance of the revival, and we were both looking forward to it. And the episodes have all aired now and we're going to kind of talk about our reactions to all of those episodes uh, so we'll start off with the first episode which was called unfortunately my struggle yeah which has uh unfortunate political connotations um but this was yeah. <laughs> the episode that brought the show back effectively kind of ignoring the spin-off movie from about eight years ago uh, and just kind of picking up as if n- nothing had really happened in 14 years and trying to explain how exactly the X-Files are going to come back even though they've been shuttered for 14 years. Yeah, and so Muldoon's been off in hiding because of all the stuff that did go down at the end of um, the original runs. And yeah, they they did seem to forget basically a lot of what had actually happened and things like that. And there are certain apparent revelations which um, were a bit random because I was like, oh, I thought they already knew this. But anyway... Do you, are you do you want to um get, are we doing spoilers or what's the yeah I th- I think it's fair to say that we'll we'll talk about the plot kind of in detail over the over the course of this yeah okay cool so that that is a spoiler warning for listeners yeah <laughs> okay so uh, yeah as you say in this episode they are brought back in order to I guess investigate or work with a guy named Tad O'Malley who is a kind of conspiracy nut who has his own show on Mind Quad which is their version of YouTube mm. uh, and who kind of t- comes to them with talk about all these various conspiracies and the idea that there is uh, some conspiracy of men faking alien landings but it also dem- goes back into the idea that there are actually aliens and I think my overwhelming sense of this as a return for the series was that it was simultaneously too confusing and too simple in that the it throws out a lot of, there's like long expositionary kind of info dumps yeah. and also the act like you say the the kind of the revelations that come up which is that maybe the government has been faking all of these alien things is kind of a thing that the show had hinted at long before yeah, well, not even hinted at because um, I can't even remember exactly which. Must have been around series six or seven, I guess. But um, you know, there's a particular episode where Mulder has a quite a strong existential crisis because some dude comes and tells him, you know, well, you what you think is the case is not the case. You know, there's something else happening, and you know, it's really the government. But you know, there are lots and like you say, it is hinted at quite a lot anyway but there is a particular episode where actually he's like oh man all this stuff i thought was the case might not be the case at all um and you know some of the earlier episodes back in season one two they actually you know Dwayne barry's thing you know abduction 
they they speak about military men and stuff like that. So it goes way, way back. So this whole crazy revelation thing seems kind of pointless. <laughs> yeah, Mulder's kind of big moment, kind of the scales falling away from his eyes thing feels incredibly false because he's only been back for like 20 minutes basically of episode yeah. time and suddenly he is <laughs> completely thrown out his entire life's work yeah basically yeah so and then the other thing is they have um sveta they have a girl who is kind of once again they have one of like a person who's the key to it all but actually the sort of evidence to that is as per usual with the x Files. i mean the thing you could say about this episode is it's a classic chris carter isn't it? Yeah, Chris Carter, for those who don't know, and it'd be weird if you didn't because we've already said the spoilers, he's the creator of the X-Files and who is kind of renowned for purple prose, lots of very kind of long, eloquent, but vo uh, uh, verging on ponderous kind of dialogue, but also for not necessarily having that finer grasp on the... Uh, on the, the basics of storytelling. Yeah, I think that's basically the thing that I took away from this because I actually found it quite confusing. And I, I, I've actually watched them all a second time now. Uh, and going back the second time, it was like, oh, okay, I kind of see what they're doing there. But all that did is open up some brain space to be like, you know, to bring up more questions, you know. And I think what they used to say, or what they do say about the X-Files is, you know, it doesn't give anything away, you know, that leaves a lot, you know, a lot of questions out there. It's quite cerebral. And I was just like, no, none of this stuff actually makes any sense at all. So, yeah, that was kind of the one thing. It is a bit of a mess, actually. Yeah, on first viewing, I... Didn't like it very much. I think it, I kind of agree with the consensus, which is that it was kind of like a C, C-plus kind of episode. But mm. I think I kind of gave it a little more leeway because I'm thinking, ah, it's the first part, and I can kind of see that it's got a lot of kind of legwork that it's got to do in order to bring the characters back and explain everything, and maybe this will get paid off in the finale. Uh, and going back and re-watching it after seeing all the other episodes, uh, it was actually way worse. <laughs> because Yeah, exactly. Because even like the final scene, which has Mulder and Scully receiving a text from uh, uh, Skinner, played by Mitch Pileggi, it's saying like, oh, uh, like critical, uh, cr situation critical. And there's like, oh, something's going to happen. And then that is never paid off. Because, exactly. Because like, you don't know, oh, does that text have to do with a new case? Is it something to do with this case? And it has nothing to do with, with what's going on. Uh, so it's obviously very frustrating knowing that it is essentially an episode that throws out a lot of questions and a lot of mystery and knowing that not really many of them are actually going to be answered by the time you get to the uh, the end of the the, the six-episode run. Um, but also I think like the justification for bringing the characters back was incredibly weak. Yeah, so like there was really no reason. I mean, I'm that's just it. As my mind had been spared some um, processing power watching it the second time round, because I kind of knew what to expect. I was trying to figure out why, what, why, why does this Ted O'Malley person who who has uh, a replica spaceship uh, and he he has all of these things? Why does he need a discredited? ex-FBI agent <laughs> to come back and, and and help him out and yeah and the other thing that really struck home because of course this was 
my struggle part one. Um, so the last episode, episode six of, of this, which I guess we'll talk about in more detail later, but was, was the second part. And, and what I really noted is, you know, nothing that happens in that episode actually really, really matters or is connected to what actually happens as a like, ah, sort of climax and ending in the second part. All of the things that they're going and they're talking through actually don't matter. And it's not even as though what they thought was the case was maybe wrong and they were barking down the wrong alley. None of what they talk about in this first episode relates to that second part. And it's quite hilarious because, you know, they talk yeah. about, I mean, they talk about the alien DNA and everything like that. Um, and they're sort of talking about this kind of conspiracy of man and things, but they they don't actually really know any detail whatsoever. So if you th- a lot of people say that, or oh, maybe the problem with this episode in terms of pacing and things is because, you know, they had a lot of ground to cover. But frankly, they could have just not done that episode and they could have started with a bit of extra introduction on the second part and it wouldn't have mattered. Like, it, I don't think it would have mattered, is my yeah, own personal I'd, opinion. Yeah, I, I got the sense re-watching like all of them in in a run that the idea of like okay the first half is episode 1 and the second half is episode 6 really doesn't make any sense and it kind of felt like oh if this was like a normal two parter where they were back to back maybe it would make a little more sense because then you could maybe investigate the alien um dna thing a little better or you could just kind of develop that more rather than like okay we have to reintroduce all the characters and then have this this thing happen Um, yeah and also like also like it is such a minor thing for bringing these guys back it doesn't really feel like oh this is a crucial thing like i i was thinking um there's a there was a tv series in the 90s called homicide life on the street uh, which Mm -hmm. was kind of a precursor to the wire and when that show ended they did a big tv movie as kind of the 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 farewell event for it and that whole Mm -hmm. that movie was centered around the captain of the homicide unit being uh someone trying to kill him and that was a justification for bringing back like all the characters Mm -hmm. who had been in the show up to that point and they'd had lots of cash changes and you kind of think if the reason they came back is like uh, scully calls Mulder and said skinner's gone missing or something Mm. like something something dramatic yeah then that would force him to kind of go okay i need to come out of hiding i need to rejoin the world because you know the one guy who had our back sort of for the run of the show is now gone you know that would make sense but like Mm. this episode basically suggested all that anyone really needed to do was to just send Mulder a text and he probably would come back at any for any reason it doesn't feel like you know this was kind of the reason why these iconic characters needed to return to what they were doing and it felt like if this was just another episode where they came back later in the season and there had been another inciting incident it would have made a little more sense yeah well i mean having thought about this and, and been talking about it a lot um obviously um one of the things i kind of thought was you know actually you know, in part to basically poop hits the fan and people are getting really ill and it's, you know, kind of suspicious and, you know, it's kind of what's going on there. I kind of figured actually if they started all the action at that point, that would have probably been a good reason to get them back. You know, when there's all this thing about, ooh, what's this 
you know, weird alien DNA going on and now everyone's getting sick and what's going on here? Like, maybe that would have been... Because Mulder has been in hiding, so it's, he shouldn't just, you know, pop back out and be like, oh, hey, some dude wants to talk to me. And, and that's kind of what happens, and it feels really, as you say, kind of pointless, you know? Yeah, it's also kind of in keeping with the various attempts to kind of update the show for the modern era. Um, such as, like, there's there's subtle things, like when you first see Mulder, he's on his laptop and he has he's put a bit of tape over the camera and his computer yeah. is like okay that's that's a very kind of post edward snowden thing people are scared of people hacking into their their computers and watching them through their cam- cameras but then the first scene of Mulder and scully together is like she asks him if he's got an uber <laughs> yeah like, hmm, that's that's awkward <laughs> exactly yeah there's just lots of things like that the second episode has a really kind of blatant reference to Edward Snowden in it as well and every one of them feels really clunky and mm. like in some cases they'll like kind of play it off as a joke like when they're yeah. talking to let's let's get into the second episode I guess uh, the second episode Founders Mutation mm. in that episode there's a, there's a sequence where they're trying to get information from a doctor and they're pretending that they're part of a bigger investigation and Mulder just kind of just goes Obamacare which is kind of <laughs> yeah. Which works. It's a, that's a that's a funny gag, and it's kind of a thing of referencing the fact that you know things have changed. But a lot of the time, these references just kind of land with a clunk because you're thinking, yeah. you're, you're making references, but the the show itself kind of feels like it's still mired in like the '90s and the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. I th- I feel like it's probably a, a symptom of the fact that you know the whole thing is kind of a one big nostalgia trip, as I've put it, and. Mm you know, fan service, but at the same time trying to bring it up to date and rather than just kind of embed it into the story without making too much of a song and dance out of it, you know, they're 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 specifically focused on particular things. And yeah, as you say, it's super clunky. But I would say about the start of um, the second episode, actually, you know, once, you know, you have your sort of cold start thing and then it hits the, the title credits... And I was like, ah, this is so much better. Mm. It just felt so much better straight away. And actually, one thing we didn't say earlier is that the title credits were the old, old ones, not the new old ones, if you know what I mean, which I thought was kind of interesting. So that was kind of another thing that about the fact that they are just trying to do, I guess, the fan service bit of it, um, you know, going right back. Yeah, you're right about the the cold open for the second episode is great. It's mm. pure X-Files of starting off in a situation that's kind of strange and then it escalates. This guy starts to hear a ringing noise and then he starts to hear voices telling him to do something and then it ends with him jamming uh, something into his own brain and killing himself. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's really lovely shot. The sound design on the, the noise in his head is is like really great and it's it's very atmospheric and it's pretty much like a classic x-files cold open and you know compared to the first episode which is just Mulder doing voiceover while someone puts down kind of pictures of images from the previous season which just makes you think who took these pictures (laughs) yeah it was kind of the narrate yeah the narration opening which I just I rolled my eyes so hard Mm. when that started especially because you're thinking okay this is this is a load of exposition to catch people up and then there's like three or four other scenes in which people are just kind of laying out complex conspiracies. It's like, you don't need, you don't need to keep doing this, you know, to try and find a more artful way of, of doing this. Um, but yeah, so founders mutation, uh, the, the, it is kind of 
a pretty much like a, a standard standalone episode monster of the week thing where there's a mysterious death Mulder and Scully go and investigate and um there's kind of on second viewing this was more apparent there are kind of links to the overarching storyline because yeah. there's more talk about their their missing son William and yeah. it touches on the theme of motherhood and parenthood which kind of keeps recurring mm. but it is it is generally like you think okay this this script could probably have been used in any season of the show uh, in the last kind of like 20 years yeah yeah and I, I actually think that I, I got the impression that it was trying to link into the 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 wider mythology arc um from that first episode because you know this whole thing of trying to create sort of alien human hybrid this that or the other and I th I, th I think I get the impression it was actually trying to look into that I mean that wasn't super obvious or it was completely obvious I'm not sure <laughs> but um yeah so I, I actually thought out of all of the episodes actually in the season that this one might be up until the the last five minutes or so of it it was the strongest for me personally it is it is in a lot of ways it's very very good it is i think visually it's probably the strongest i think it's it's written and directed by james wong who mm. was a a veteran of the show who also went on to kind of create and direct a couple of installments in the final destination franchise so he's someone who is has kind of a keen visual eye and there's lots of really good images in this episode you know the the images of the guys like blood dripping out of his head but also later on Mulder and Sully go and meet this woman who is who has kind of had some sort of mental breakdown who was related who was married to the doctor who was carrying out these experiments on children and she talks about how she knew that her daughter was strange and there's this really eerie image of her daughter just kind of lying at the bottom of a pool and yeah. she thinks that she's drowned and when she dives in to see her the girl just kind of like turns around and just kind of waves at her and it's really creepy mm. and it's, it's really effective and there's some really good visual storytelling in it um but I think there is uh you're right and it kind of does try and tie into the main myth arc with this, the idea of experimenting on children and trying to and, and ending up with these kind of these mutations so you you see very briefly these kids with like really kind of strange deformities some of which are, are really heartbreaking and some of which just kind of look a little goofy mm. um there's one there's one young child who's looks just kind of like he's melted onto a table um, yeah and it's, it's very strange yeah so i think yeah. they're 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 there are kind of real um, congenital genetic disorders and things mm. like that. I mean, shown in what could only be described as their most extreme possible or yeah. slightly impossible um, sort of presentation. But yeah, that all as a cover to some, you know, Department of Defense funded research for whatever purpose, which... You know they don't really say, but then you know the fact that the that daughter, the girl who's a bit strange, turns out to have sort of telekinetic powers and things like that, and uh, yeah, the crazy bit actually is is totally insane, but it's kind of what I really like about it is the fact that she actually has a brother, mm. and sort of the cause of all you know what you what these people are hearing in their heads and why the dude killed himself. Why Sanjay killed himself um, is is because of her brother who escaped from his mother's womb after telling her to slice her stomach open when she was in a car crash because you know crap goes crazy. Uh, but I I thought that's totally insane. But 
I mean, if you can't have insanity in the X-Files, then when where can you have it? Yeah, so after, I, after she's in a car accident in which she eviscerates a deer. Yeah. That deer was very messed up by that um, it, accident. Yeah, it was super messed up, yeah. Its stomach was hanging out on the road. Yeah, it was it was that was that was really um surprisingly graphic. I know obviously it's a it's a deer, so I guess you can get away with it in the way that you wouldn't with say a human body. But it was mm. still I was still quite uh, surprised by that. But uh, like I just remembered what I was saying about the connection to the show is that at the end of it the to the to the myth arc, at the end of the episode you see Mulder has pocketed a vial of blood that was taken from the brother. And mm. you kind of think, "Oh, that's maybe going to tie into the myth art and it it doesn't it's never yeah. mentioned again that they yeah. had this this vial of blood from someone who has clearly been the result of government exper- uh, experimentation it's just kind of left hanging there but um the the other major part of this episode again it ties into the to the idea of of william being missing and of of parenthood is there are these visions that Mulder and scully both have of what they kind of feel feel like they've missed by the fact that they gave their child away um, many years ago Uh, you see kind of uh, scully taking him to school and then him uh, eventually having him like having alien eyes and stuff which is uh, i think is a nice way of of contrasting her hopes for him with her fears about what could happen to him and then the episode ends with like, like a genuinely very poignant for me i felt quite a poignant thing of Mulder imagining what it would be like with William and then having his son uh, um, abducted similar to how his sister was. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say the thing about William, the son, their son in this entire series, and it comes up again in later episodes, is, is in some ways he's he's like the absent driver, much mm. like his Mulder sister, which, you know, as he explains in the beginning, and as most people, you know, who will have watched The X-Files know that pretty much the main driver for Mulder is to try and find out what happened to his sister. He thinks she's been abducted. So, so yeah, there's kind of a, a similar thing going on there, isn't there? And, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that was really sweet and everything. You know, they're kind of thinking about, oh, what's going on with him? And it ties in even more because, you know, Scully recalls him as a tiny little baby in his cot, you know, telekinetically controlling a bit of a spaceship, uh, metal mm-hmm. off a spaceship and things like that. And so the fact that, you know, there's Molly and she's got weird powers and, and her brother has weird powers, you know, it, it, it does all connect up in a really nice way. So that was quite cool. But it, it does kind of get to a problem that really un, uh, unbalances the, the last, the kind of the last three episodes of the season where the elements of kind of this serialized thing or this thematic thing that's connecting it starts to kind of push out the standalone stuff, which actually yeah. is stronger and always was a stronger element of the show. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a problem with the third episode, Mulder and Scully meet the Ware monster, which is kind of gleefully and completely separate from the main story being told. Yeah. This is the one that I think a lot of people have cited as the strongest. It's written and directed by Darren Morgan, who is kind of a, someone who wasn't with the show for very long. He only worked on like the second, third and fourth seasons of the show. But in that time, he wrote or co-wrote some of the show's kind of most acclaimed episodes. Jo- Jose Chung's From Out of Space, uh, Clyde Brookman's Final Repose, Humbug, all kind of really great episodes, all kind of funny and self-aware in a lot of ways. Uh, and this is kind of in some ways feels like the episode that he was always kind of building towards, which is 
in many ways, a complete satire of the very idea of the X-Files. Yeah. Uh, in which Mulder and Scully are, arrive at a place in Oregon, having uh, heard about a, a, a monster attacking people witnessed by two stoners played by... Uh, Tyler Labine and Nicole Parker, who had previously been in a couple of X-Files episodes playing essentially the same characters, uh, yeah. one of many links to the kind of the early ones, and uh, discovering that the creature is a kind of a lizard, a lizard man played in human form by Reese Darby of Flight of the Concords and uh, what we do in the Shadows fame, uh, and then kind of riffing on the, the very idea of what a Monster of the Week episode actually is. Yeah, so, I mean... Yeah, it was a hugely funny episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I actually enjoyed it even more watching it the second time round. I think I was probably in a bad mood when I watched it the first time. But yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a super, super funny episode. Um, and there's, uh, I'm sure you've probably come across articles and things like that, but there are a million and one sort of Easter eggs and references, as you say, to, to the X-Files in general. And, and it's just really funny is the main thing I got from it. And it, I, I, the one thing is that, so as they go through this, they're trying to figure out, you know, what is this were monster thing? You know, oh, it's a spiny lizard. It shoots blood out of its eyes and it's mm-hmm. all kind of crazy and insane. And, you know, they find him at a motel and the motel owner's creepy as hell as well. Um, and then it kind of gets to a point where I guess the were monster has to explain himself and he does so for 14 entire minutes and it's really funny and it is very sweet but um it there was 14 minutes of of exposition there which i found super grating the first time the second time uh, i was like well at least it's funny um, yeah yeah i i yeah I, that was my main note of it because i've i've watched the episode three times now i watched it, <laughs> I watched it twice in one day because the first time i was like this is really fun and the second time i wanted to try and pick apart some of the the references um some of which i picked up and some of which i picked up on this third viewing such as the fact that the guy that plays the motel owner has played characters in like a bunch of darren morgan episodes so he's kind of been brought back in um the fact that uh the the, the monster gets a a dog who he names Dagoo. Yeah, Dagoo. <laughs> uh, and uh, Dagoo is the name of one of the harpooners in Moby Dick, as was Queequeg, which was Queequeg. which is the name of Scully's old dog. And just kind of looking yeah. at all of these funny little connections, and also one which I didn't know at all, but which I think is really cool, is that the outfit that the the wear monster whose whose name a yeah, pseudonym is Guy Man. Mm. which is a, a great a great name for someone to co- uh, come up with as uh, just to say that they are a generic human uh, is the same outfit worn by the character of Coljack the night Coljack the night stalker who was a character from a 70s tv show which was a big influence on the x-files mm. and the script itself actually originated as a script for a remake of Coljack the night stalker <laughs> that got cancelled after one season so there's this kind of like when you see pictures of the two back to back it's like oh wow this is really blatant and the fact that i've never seen this show means that i missed out on it um mm. but yeah the, the the main thing i took away from the third viewing is that monologue does take well it's not a monologue but you know that that exposition you've seen does take about 14 minutes and it has kind of ups and downs and there's mm. things in there about um like unreliable narration, which is a favorite thing of, of Darren Morgan's where mm. he at one point kind of it, it talks about this imaginary conversation of having sex with Scully when she comes to investigate him, which is very funny. <laughs> yeah. uh, and 
you know that it, it is it is kind of funny and there's there's variation but it is, it does feel as if Darren Morgan reached a point in the script where he's like there's a lot of stuff to explain I think it may be just easier if I have these guys just kind of talk it out but I think yeah. what's nice about the episode in general in comparison to the first two is it is completely separate from the main story there's like no met there's no references to the to their kid i don't think i don't think there's any mention of william there's no, no. mention of government conspiracies it's just like oh this is just like a a case that Mulder and scully are doing and as such the kind of a to b to c storytelling is is really clear like each thing you think okay that clearly follows the the, the thing that went before and that simplicity is what kind of makes it so much fun to watch is that you can graft on all of these kind of dense references but the the story itself you're watching you think okay this is this is really quite fun and entertaining yeah what i thought was really great actually about all those references is that they didn't necessarily um get in the way of telling the story like it didn't stop action or it wasn't really done in in a clumsy sort of way you know where whereas in the other episodes you know when they're making those references to new technology and things like that they seem really out of place and you know mm. I've been I've been accused of being too intellectual when watching movies and tv and stuff like that but you know I did literally just sit back and absorb these episodes at least the first time and and you know some of those clunky references were they really bothered me whereas in this episode um, you know, if you weren't really paying attention, then you wouldn't you wouldn't have noticed a lot of this stuff actually. So mm. you know, that's what I ju- I just thought it was really good that it just weaved together really well. And and I do think that I think the only kind of um, examples of where they kind of make a reference to modern t- how t- technology has changed in fourteen years is uh, Mulder's use of an iPhone to try and take photos, which yeah. is is generally treated kind of as just a gag because he's terrible at it. Yeah, yeah. So it's more of a, you know, whatever middle-aged man trying to use a phone sort of thing. You know, like, oh, we didn't have these back in my day. I don't think that he says that. But, you know, it's just kind of a, I don't know how to use my phone, which is completely believable, you know, as it is. So, And also there is kind of, there's a nice thematic thing connecting it to some of Darren Morgan's earlier episodes where at the start he says it's strange that the kind of the two stoners didn't take a picture of the of the of the monster because everyone has a camera on them these days and that kind of ties into a theme that Darren Morgan explored in Humbug where he's kind of talking about the idea how that technology and society are kind of forcing out the strange and the fringe things and they're, mm. they're kind of the world's becoming more normal and so like the idea that oh yeah technology would make something like the X-Files make no sense because there would be documentation of everything kind of kind of plays into that in a way that i think is nice and and a nice subtle connection to his earlier work but without again without kind of like hammering over the head in the way that chris carter's episodes kind of do yeah yeah well and the other thing is this episode specifically points out its own inconsistencies um Mm -hmm. which if you can imagine if they did that in chris carter episodes like you wouldn't have any time to do anything else yeah 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 exactly It, it and it helps that so much of it is being delivered by Reese Darby, who is just kind of this daffy, affable kind of persona. And you're like, you don't mind so much if he's saying, like, I don't, if he's saying, I don't know if this is true or not. Cause you're like, uh, yeah, he's fine. He's, I'm happy with him just uh, possibly lying to me because he's so charming. Yeah. Or maybe he doesn't realize he's lying because, you know, he's only just grasped the, you know, English language and the human way of life. <laughs> based on the story mm. maybe he doesn't know 
Yeah, and, and there is lots of fun because one of the things also that Darren Morgan does really well is he kind of uh, asserts his own personality and his own personal philosophy onto the episodes that he writes. And I, I like the fact that so much of the character of Guy Man is about him kind of uh, maybe working through some issues about the kind of the drudgery of everyday life and yeah. kind of the the idea of going in and just kind of feeling the need to get a job and to fit into society. And I feel as someone who, um, I think from really reading interviews of him, as he seems like someone who has never really felt like he fits in anywhere and, and also seems to hate the fact that he's really good at writing episodic TV <laughs> um, because he seems to, he never seems that happy with the work that he's done, even though it's been like massively acclaimed and won him an Emmy. Um, yeah. and, and this episode kind of seems like the natural endpoint of that self-hatred. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's... In a fun way. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that whole thing of, you know, it's it's a human thing that you suddenly, you know, you, you fall into the rat race, basically. You feel the need to get a job and all that sort of thing. Mm. And, yeah, how much of a drudgery, how much he hates his alarm clock, all of that. Mm. It's, it's, all, it's all super obvious, which in in one way I was kind of like oh like it could have been maybe a bit more subtle but I mean I think I think it was actually more my feeling around the fact that this was all coming through as part of exposition you know there was a lot of telling rather than showing going on so. yeah yeah and it's not even that they don't even try and make the sh- the, the telling necessarily that dynamic mm, yeah yeah but see the thing is so um whilst I'm a big fan of the X Files I haven't gone and read too many interviews um with writers and directors and things like that and i didn't really watch that many behind the scenes things actually on the dvds so yeah i wasn't even aware of that but now i now you've just said that i'm like oh that's really funny and kind of makes me appreciate it more <laughs> but having said that there are the, the one other things i have read um in terms of interviews usually make me think oh i wish i didn't know that because it makes me feel quite cynical about why yeah. they've made this series and the way Chris Carter goes about doing things. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll definitely get into uh, cynicism when we get to uh, yeah. when we get to the final episode. Uh, yeah, so uh, we'll move on to episode four now, which is called Home Again, which is written and directed by Glenn Morgan, who, uh, along with James Wong, was a kind of a, a big part of the early years of the show. Kind of, they were a writing team. They wrote a lot of really great episodes together, and this is an episode about. Uh, a kind of i guess the the best term for it would be like a trash golem essentially who mm, yeah. is summoned up to kill people who are involved in trying to help forcibly remove homeless people from the streets of philadelphia yeah so again you have the sort of uh you start off again with this cold opener where this dude appears from um a garbage truck and he goes off to sort of find this guy who's been involved with moving the homeless people and he rips him into a few pieces and that's essentially how that goes and then um and then yeah it's back to the sort of generic x-files they're Mulder and scully come in and are now needed to investigate what's happening um uh, yeah it also kind of ties into there's a kind of a vein of episodes in the old series where they would use the supernatural to explore a societal issue two examples that i thought of off the top of my head were sleepless and unrequited which are both episodes about the way in which the u.s government has mistreated vietnam veterans and this 
kind of felt like a similar a similar episode in that vein where someone uses uh, something kind of vaguely supernatural not terribly well explained to exact revenge on people in authority who they see as abusing power mm. yeah uh, well this episode actually I, I sort of got a sense of all sorts of different episodes I mean obviously there was Arcadia in I think season 6 or whatever which is a similar thing you're sort of um, trash golem type thing um, in that case it was in suburbia so it's kind of interesting contrast that this was in you know an, an urban setting and, and homeless people but yeah so as you go through this episode and, and more people are kind of being killed one of the particular sequences in it um, and I wish I'd looked up what the name of this episode is but there's an episode where this this sort of deformed guy sort of sort of well people fumigating their houses uh, sort of I guess drugs them and has sex with them but to the soundtrack of Cher um, and so there's a particular sequence in this episode where there's um, you know sort of downtown mm. and it's and it's really very similar to that so yeah there was all sorts of different yeah. episodes that were coming to mind when I was watching this. Yeah, the uh, ironic use of chirpy music also ties it, as as well as the title to the episode Home, which was by Glenn Morgan and James Wong, in which a a couple are brutally murdered in their house whilst there is kind of a, a kind of ballad playing on in the background. Uh, they, they certainly seem to like juxtaposing kind of happy music with <laughs> just absolute horrible depravity at the same time. Yeah. It's part of the dark humour, isn't it? Mm. The the other half of this episode is about the uh, the relationship between Scully and her mother, who is, uh, at the start of the episode, she gets a phone call saying that she has had a heart attack and is now in a coma, and that is, uh, which kind of ties into uh, earlier in the, the show, in the, I think the second season, when Scully was in a coma after she was kidnapped, uh, abducted. And uh, the, that episode is about her kind of coming to the terms with the imminent death of her mother. And that, again, ties into the idea of motherhood and her relationship with William and wondering about how, you know, whether or not she did the right thing by giving him away. Yeah, so they they introduce this sort of estranged brother of Scully's, with Charlie, who I'm fairly sure I've never heard of before. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I did watch through all of online season of the x-files towards the end of last year so i thought i might remember but mm. no no memory of this charlie person at all so you know plot device um and yeah linking to the fact that um her mother needs to know that he's okay before she you know does die um and so tying to that whole sense that scully has that she needs to know that william's okay and also that she needs to not think that you know, they threw him away like a bit of trash, which I guess ties into this garbage monster type thing as well. So it's kind of a, yeah, there was, there was lots of different tie-ins going around um, in that episode. Um, and this whole, like, there was the coin that the mum had, which I didn't fully get what the point was other than Scully didn't know what the point of it was. So it was all to do with uncertainty. So the whole thing was just kind of around uncertainty and treating people properly, which in some ways works and in some ways is a little bit clumsy. But yeah, that was kind of what I thought of that. Yeah, I mean, that 
the, this episode is kind of like the second episode in a lot of ways in that it's kind of has this fairly strong standalone episode which has these really strong visuals and this kind of thematic element element that you kind of think would works but probably would work if there was a whole episode devoted to it the the idea of of scully confronting her mother's death and you know the show has done things like that before where they will separate the characters and and a character will go off on their own personal journey essentially and Mm -hmm. that's the sort of thing that probably you could have done really well if for example they had had a full 20 something episodes to do but when you are confined to this six episode miniseries limited event in quotation marks uh then that kind of uh, doesn't work so well because it it does feel as if you're trying to do a lot of things at once and struggling against the the limitations of the actual time allotted yeah i mean my feeling on it that that, that whole other bit of the story featuring um scully's mum and everything yeah it was really to highlight more about william and because it was either that the other story needed a lot of padding or they were really trying to big up this whole thing about William, which is fair enough, but I feel like they could have done both sides of that episode better separately. Yeah, especially because like the actual trash man, garbage guy thing actually is resolved. It, well, it basically doesn't resolve. He kills all the people he has to kill and then disappears, which is, is something that the X-Files would do in the past anyway, which is that Mulder and Scully would kind of be following a supernatural event and not really affecting it too well. It would just kind of play out and then they would file a report on it and Mulder would kind of have a a verbose monologue about it at the end. But it does feel... It's so sidelined in this to the the mother storyline, which offers a lot of more opportunities for like Gillian Anderson to demonstrate what a really good actress she is because she is really, really good in, in the scenes with her mum in the hospital and also when she's kind of pontificating on her doubts about whether or not she did the right thing for by William. But it does feel as if, like you say, it feels as if they are, that they're, 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 they're really padding out one of the two ideas. Either they're padding out the, uh, the Monster of the Week episode with something that's more emotional or they felt that there, there wouldn't be enough... Um, audience kind of desire to see a purely emotional episode that didn't have you know gator from battlestar galactica being ripped to pieces yeah yeah no i totally agree with all that i just kind of thought it stopped the action and um what you know whilst they did kind of they did try to make them tie up together it was kind of tenuous at best Mm. yeah so that one for me kind of felt like if you look at um the 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 Wikipedia page for the the tenth season. There's a a graphic from Rotten Tomatoes which uh, charts the percent percentage of of positive reviews for the episodes on a bar, on a graph. Mm. And like it's a it's a perfect bell curve where it's like <laughs> the first three episodes they go up, and then from here they start to go down kind of precipitously. And I kind of feel like the the fourth episode is is kind of like a lesser version of the the second episode where you start to see the serialized elements kind of starting to force out the the monster of the week stuff um uh, speaking of which uh episode five which was called babylon which uh, based on the imdb score is maybe one of the more hated episodes because <laughs> on i on imdb all the other episodes in the series in this season have like seven and eights and this one has a, is kind of a, like a low six 
Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, and I can see why uh, there are elements of this episode that are, uh, to use a popular online term, problematic. <laughs> the main one being that it starts with a a, a Muslim uh, gentleman, uh, you know, doing the kind of the call to prayer and uh, going to meet a friend of his. And then they are, he's kind of suffers from kind of the casual racism of being a Muslim in America where people are looking at him, get kind of giving him dodgy glances and saying, you know, what country are we in anyway? And stuff like that. And he meets his friend uh, and then they go and blow up an art gallery. uh, It's one of those things which 24 did a few times as well. And this is one of the reasons why I stopped watching 24, where they kind of have it both ways, where they kind of like say, you know, there is racism against Muslims. You know, that these people just trying to live their lives and people look at them like they're terrorists. And then saying, I, by the way, they are actually terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> they are going I, to kill you. Yeah. So uh, w- the the opening of this episode, you know, it has, has the Muslim dude doing his prayers and things like that. And I was just like, oh, dear God. Like, I hope to God <laughs> they tried to do something a bit more clever here, especially because as, you know, him and his mate are walking into the art gallery, you know, they're wearing quite thin jackets and, you know, you can't see that they're mm-hmm. wearing a bomb. So I was like, oh, OK, OK, OK. And then kaboom and people are running around on fire. And I was just like, oh, for God's sake. And I think I first time around more or less switched off at that point, I think. Mm. Yeah, and, and they also do that thing, which is kind of a very lazy trick in filmmaking, which is uh, where the camera just kind of lingers for a little too long. So you think, oh, yeah, something's going to happen. Mm. It's like, there's no reason why you'd be holding this shot for like the extra five seconds unless that building was going to explode. So they they, cut, they kind of signal the way that it's going from there. Uh, and then the, the X-Files-y nature of it is that the one of the bombers uh survives barely he's in kind of a vegetative state in the hospital and two new x-files agents played by uh robbie amel who is um most famous for being on the flash and lauren ambrose who is most probably most notable for being um, a regular on six feet under show up as kind of a, a the uh Mulder and scully of a new generation to kind of seek advice from Mulder and scully about the possibility of communicating with this guy in a coma through kind of uh uh super uh, supernatural or kind of fringe science means yeah so at this point again i'm rolling my eyes <laughs> it was like you've got your mini molder mm-hmm. and mini, mini scully and in some ways i thought oh you know it's kind of interesting twin paradox einstein ha 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 and you know they're basically the same and they're playing off each other and isn't this funny but it really wasn't funny yeah, I mean the, the 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 on the second viewing, I did kind of like the ways in which the kind of the older characters, the way in which they interacted with their younger counterparts, such as the way in which Scully looks at Miller, played by who's the 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 male half, the Mulder of the group, to the extent that he is called Miller, and Mulder is Miller in Dutch. So obviously they're kind <laughs> of going for a super obvious connection there, or super obvious if you speak Dutch, I guess. Um, uh, I didn't know that. So there you go. I, I didn't know that until I looked it up today, but I kind of thought there's going to be something with that name. There's going to be some kind of arch connection that, that will be kind of funny the first time you see it. And then also you'll think about it a bit more and think that's kind of a dumb thing to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so when Scully is talking to him and he's kind of talking about his ideas about you, about uh, contacting people through brainwaves or whatever, um, it, she kind of has this look, this kind of sort of, 
parental look and it's kind of the look that you see like on people when they meet their kids friends and the friends mm. like they look at them and think oh my god you really look like your dad or something like that and, and there is something quite sweet to that and i did i thought that there was something nice to that pairing and uh, i i'm a big fan of lauren ambrose so i enjoyed her kind of presenting essentially kind of the season one scully element of it where she is like a complete skeptic who doesn't believe anything that these people are saying which yeah. i think is something that uh obviously kind of got chipped away over the course of the original season because scully had seen so many things but she still yeah. had to be the sounding board but i think the thing that really turned people off was that, that when they get to texas where the whole thing is happening Mulder's plan is to take magic mushrooms and to try and conf- uh, converse with the suicide bomber on the kind of the I don't know, the next plane of existence to try and determine, you know, where his compatriots are to see if there's another attack coming. And that uh, unfolds as kind of a drug trip in which Mulder goes to, or, or kind of wanders in traffic, apparently goes and line dances with the, <laughs> and drinks with the lone gunman who uh, were his kind of three compatriots for many years who died a long time ago and at least mm. that kind of explained how exactly they were going to reintroduce them into the show as as kind of visions in a in a dream in a dream uh whilst yeah like whilst line dancing to um achy breaky heart uh which is very goofy there's the goofiest thing that maybe the show has ever done yeah it was pretty ridiculous and um i i'm glad it was a, a sort of a drug trip and that's where the lone gunman came up because, of course, the X Files Facebook page was being quite bad at um, quasi spoilers. And I saw that before I actually saw the episode, and I was like, "What? No, they're dead!" And I was already angry about the smoking man because he was definitely mm. dead. For God's sake, he was <laughs> dead. Um, which obviously doesn't mean anything, as we know, Mulder died. But but yeah, I was kind of at least glad it was a drug trip. But I mean, yeah, that sequence was. It was goofy, which in some ways was okay. I mean, aside from the fact it didn't really fit in with, I guess, what I wanted the tone of this episode to be. Um, Mm. But also it was too long. Yeah, it did go on a lot. Yeah, Um, yeah. I quite like I quite liked the way it ended, which was Mulder wakes up and he's in a boat being rowed and cigarette smoking man kind of healed and not horribly burned, kind of cracking a whip. And then there's the the suicide bomber being held by kind of an angelic figure and he kind of goes over to listen to him. And I like it purely because there's a Tom Waits song playing in the background. But I kind of thought that if you're going to go on a drug trip, then I I like the idea of them going into something that was so obviously a set and so obviously artificial. Um, And and it was just, there was just kind of a tone to it that I thought this is genuinely kind of strange and unearthly, as opposed to the the line dancing bit, which was uh, kind of, bad comedy and like you say it's went on for so long that you thought that this was this was to pad this out <laughs> because yeah. they clearly didn't have enough kind of story to fill in the rest of the episode yeah well i mean yeah i really like that the the end bit of the trip as it were like that was really strong for me but it, you know having sat and watched this random line dancing thing for a good <laughs> few minutes i was to uh well i mean it pulled me back in at least um yeah it was pretty bad yeah and also i think this was the worst case of them because obviously mitch pelegi came back for a couple of episodes but this i think was probably the worst example of them integrating him because he comes down to see Mulder in the hospital for like half a scene yeah and then i think he's completely gone and it's one of those things where you actually think he 
He's the assistant director of the FBI. Why is he flying down to Texas to just see his agent in a hospital? Well, for cynical reasons, probably because he had a contract, a number Mm, of contracted hours or something to fulfill. I mean, yeah, it makes zero sense in the story whatsoever. So that's the only really, the only real reason I can, I can think of. But I think you're right in in terms of the how goofy the drug trip drug trip scene is in terms of the rest of the episode, which is actually kind of tries to be quite earnest in its attempts to understand kind of the, the hatred and and the last two scenes are essentially just the the two different sets of agents talking about the human capacity for both love and hate at the same time, and it feels like you know Chris Carter's creed occur saying like oh why. Why can't we all just get along? And it's like super earnest, and that kind of that kind of endeared it to me a little bit because I was thinking, oh, you're 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 trying to say something really profound. You're just really bad at this, and I I appreciate that you're trying to say something, but like it it just doesn't chime. Like all of the the kind of the comedy elements of it just feel so so wildly out of place with what starts with a suicide bombing, and um, then kind of ends with. <laughs> kind of a ridiculous kind of shot of the rotating earth as just to say hey we're all in this together yeah yeah so i mean that that was kind of my takeaway from this was just the all of the tone being you know all the tone of it being mixed up and you know i, I can kind of get with the x-files where you know where it's turning tongue-in-cheek or there's a bit of black humor or wh- whatever else but i just think there are times when levity just know just stay away from trying to do things like that if you're gonna try and say something really profound then yeah say it's don't don't mix things up just go go for it but yeah the, the one thing actually so how this episode ends as well is a, a conversation between Mulder and Scully again which the dialogue for which I didn't fully I didn't really understand it maybe I'm stupid or maybe I'd given up at this point but um, I didn't understand it either of the times fully exactly what they're trying to say. But it's, but then Mulder is hearing things. And I was like, ah, so he is crazy. Because <laughs> <laughs> Scully well, think... clearly doesn't hear what he hears. And it's like, ah, okay, this all makes complete sense now. He's just mad. Yeah, that, I think that would be the, the best explanation is that the whole episode was just the result of someone's madness. Either Chris Carter's or Mulder's. It's unclear. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, my, my whole my feeling about the X Files really, when it was at its best, was when there was seeds of doubt and everything. You know, depending mm-hmm. on whose perspective you were looking at, and I was kind of always hoping that Mulder would turn out just to be, I don't know, manic depressive. And you know, Scully does talk a lot um, in in a lot of the episodes actually about being worried for him mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's. I don't know, it's kind of a very, very subtle hint that I don't think they, they could have made something more out of, perhaps, and that would have been, well, I would have found that very interesting. Yeah, it just, it, the whole episode, I think, just feels like a lot of missed opportunities. There was something to be said about, you know, again, trying to kind of do a brotherhood of man sort of thing, or to try and grapple with the, the kind of the, 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 the horrors of Islamic uh, extremism and things like that, but it's like the episode that actually came out you think this was not the this was not the uh, avenue through which to explore that yeah which brings us i think to the sixth and final episode of the of the the, the mini series and i use that term advisedly because of how it ends uh, <laughs> yeah my struggle my struggle 2 which 
completes the first one, but not really. Mm. Um, mm, does it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it kind of... The thing that I found really funny about it was, one, that it opens with a kind of a, a reprise of the opening of my struggle except now it's scully doing her um doing her narration over shots from the series uh which is even stranger because there's one where it's like a a a, pic, a image of her first meeting in the office with like cigarette smoking man and you're like who was taking that picture it's like you know, that's that's just me being annoyed by practicalities mm. um and then ends with her walking towards the camera and morphing into an alien which is the i'm gonna say the single dumbest thing that's ever happened yeah, I mean, I sort of gave it the benefit of the doubt in terms of, oh, they're trying to say something with artistic mm-hmm. license as opposed to suggesting something uh, literal. But mm-hmm. given given the content of this episode is all about the fact that, you know, she has alien DNA and, you know, something different to everyone else that's going to help her survive this um, pandemic of some engineered virus the spart the spartan virus or sparta virus can't remember what they were calling it um spartan i think yeah yeah so she's gonna survive this um and 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 also as we find out save everyone apparently because of the saline dna she has so yeah that that connection it's it's weird it's artistic license but given the content you think oh maybe it's literal and it's just kind of as you say dumb yeah, I mean, even figuratively, you just kind of think there's there's better uses for cold open than this, especially because all you're doing is repeating information that we already know either from watching the original series or even just from the kind of the info dump at the beginning of my struggle. It's mm-hmm. kind of like it's it's good to kind of give Scully her time, but I think it just in, uh, underlines how both of those cold opens don't really work. And mm. probably could have been replaced with something else. Like the first episode, I think it would have been much stronger if you'd opened with like the flashback to Roswell in 1947 and then kind of lured people in and think, ooh, this is this is mysterious. Or this one, I think a better cold open for this episode would have been showing some unrelated person developing the like the, the Sparta virus and suddenly becoming ill because the actual outbreak of the virus just kind of happens in the middle of another scene mm-hmm. and it's i don't think it's terribly effective to just kind of have um scully and einstein walking along and then there's just a soldier there who's like oh, i'm really sick and my arms kind of decaying yeah yeah it's a very strange tack to take on that that particular story watching this episode a second time through uh the first time through i was just kind of annoyed by it because like even like the opening scene, which or the opening scene proper, which has Scully going into the X-Files office and she goes on Mulder's computer and like um, Tad O'Malley's show comes up and he's like saying, six weeks ago we were taking off the air. And all it made me think was, so there was like no real reason why this couldn't have followed straight on from the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Like you could have just followed straight on and you're pretty much just admitting, yeah, like those four weeks that they don't really matter to what's happening here. And the only thing that they did in that time really of any substance was introduce Einstein and Miller. But you kind of think if the two my struggles had been next to each other, they could have introduced those characters in another episode and then it would have been a little more natural to have them show up in this one. Mm. Um, but yeah, it just kind of, it, it, it kind of hit home to me again and underlined the idea that, the way in which those episodes were split up didn't really make any sense and just felt 
like really distracting because you're thinking oh great now i have to kind of try and remember all the stuff that was happening in the previous episode but none of that actually matters when the, the story of this one actually gets going yeah yeah exactly um sorry you can carry on I'll get to a point because I'm just stew- I'm just stewing at the moment. So when I have something productive to say, I'll say so you can just carry on. Yeah, well, you're, you're you're I think you're mainly stewing about the science of this episode. The, uh, the DNA. Well, do you know what? Um, I've always forgiven the X Files for for its bad science because you know I am a science fiction fan and I get the science fiction bit of it what really annoyed me about this one I mean aside from the fact that um so my doctorate is in molecular biology so all of these things about DNA and running your PCRs and everything it was just ugh, ugh. <laughs> but I accept that often I notice these bad things or inaccuracies and and other people wouldn't but um, so John, um, you know, my husband, he was I kind of asked him, you know, did any of that help you in any way? Was it useful? Because, you know, people do sciencing in science fiction. They do that. And, it, you know, the whole technobabble thing it, it is part of it. And usually it pushes a story along a bit or it gives purpose to something. But he was like, no, it didn't make any sense. It went on for ages. It was like the weir- a weird episode of House or something. And it didn't make any sense anyway. So. My my main problem is that it didn't really add to anything and it was utterly stupid and didn't really make any sense either. Yeah, the show kind of treats alien DNA like the way that Harry Potter treats magic or Star Wars treats the Force. Mm. It was just kind of something you can drop into any situation. It's like, yeah, that'll solve it. Everyone's got alien DNA or no one's got alien DNA. Yeah. Who, who cares? Alien well, DNA... So the thing about that is, and and I went and looked at the credit who wrote this, and apparently it's the old sort of science advisory person, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which makes me think, oh, you should have known better. But in this day and age where we do have um, whole genome sequencing and things like that, it sort of begs the question that, you know, given that all of this happened, they're saying in the 40s and 50s and things like that is when they started, you know, adding in the DNA using the smallpox virus as a as a uh, vaccine as a cover whatever else the point is since then we've sequenced all our genomes so every if everyone has it then how is, does it look any different you know we you know so we yeah. all have we all have the dna and if we if we sequence scully's dna why does that look any different you know it ugh I don't really want to get in the specific the specificities of it just because like I say the X-Files often or sci-fi often has you know ridiculous thing and alien DNA is a thing but it's, it it just didn't seem obvious why they would even notice it there in the first place or yeah like you say it's like they use magic and all sorts of things but it just didn't really make a huge amount of sense to me. I think it it underlines a problem that Chris Carter has in general, which is that a lot of his scripts feel like he wrote like a five hour version and then he's cut out like four of every five words or four of every five sentences. And there's lots of things where you think if there was more work put into this, these leaps would probably make a lot more sense. But um, because they're not there, everything feels kind of jumbled. And this wasn't quite as bad as my struggle for that because I feel like it was more concerned on giving answers, but those answers 
didn't really seem to follow on from each other and weren't really that satisfying. And again, when he was throw, they were throwing around kind of willy nilly a lot of scientific, technical scientific terms. They don't really help the viewer because it just ends up with people just kind of uh, throwing out acronyms and saying we need to amplify my DNA. It's like, what does that mean? That is that is that means nothing to me. Yeah, well, and and so. You know, you say, oh, maybe he chopped out sentences here. I can totally believe that. But the thing is, you could have chopped out actually what was left in. You could have chopped out a whole lot of that and you wouldn't have missed out on anything. You know, you could have done some, I don't know, you could have done it differently and it wouldn't have missed anything. Um, And, you know, later on, there are leaps where clearly something has perhaps been missed out because it's suddenly they know which gene it is that's been targeted um, and what's causing, you know, people's immune systems to not be working. And of course, it's, you know, being triggered by chemtrails and, and things like that. In some ways you think, OK, so the point of all of this is to play on, you know, these kind of conspiracy theories and paranoia and everything like that. But like you say, it just there's too many leaps and it, it just doesn't make sense. And I feel like if you're going to be trying to give answers and let's face it, they use exposition elsewhere, just bloody tell us what's happening. Cause it, it mm. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. He almost had the exact opposite um, approach to this episode that he did to the first, my struggle, which was one that didn't need all of those exposition dumps. It just needed to tell the story and get the characters back in. Whereas this one, you kind of think, okay, you you have a lot of concepts that you're trying to get in here and you're trying to unpack a lot of a a seemingly complex but probably just ill-thought-out conspiracy Mm. uh, and trying to tap into all of these kind of right-wing, not not necessarily right-wing, but certainly paranoid Mm. um, conspiracy theories that have been in the kind of the, the ether for a very long time and trying to create almost this grand unifying theory of all conspiracy theories, which is something that the X-Files kind of did in the 90s as well. Mm. But when you do it all in like one single episode, it just becomes really super overwhelming. Yeah, and and I don't know about you, but the, one of the things, again, watching the second time ra- round that actually hit me quite hard was how little it was hitting me that we're seeing a kind of a kind of end of world sort of scenario playing out I don't know the scale Mm. of it or something like I didn't feel like it was a big deal like I know you saw a bunch of people in the hospital and and then right at the very end you know clearly crap's going down because you know everyone seems to be trying to leave the city and there's traffic jams and and like there's people out on the street and there's riots and stuff but even then I, I, I don't know how did you feel about the sort of scale of it I just feel like the, the stakes didn't feel super high. And I, I think it was kind of the way they they showed it or didn't show it, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree that they didn't show enough of that stuff. And and that's why I feel like a cold open showing the, the earliest kind of signs of this thing spreading out at least would have helped with that a little bit. Because yeah. it is, it is literally like they're they're talking about the, some some vague conspiracy, and then suddenly in the next scene, oh, like hundreds of people are ill and they've got anthrax or something. He's like, yeah. whoa, this is this is escalated very very quickly, and I don't really Super get a, a good sense of it. Yeah, uh, well, I think that's the other thing as well, because then it sort of cuts to to Tad O'Malley and it's like, oh no, you know, the show's gonna have to go off the air and the infrastructure's falling apart, and and you know. It, it's happening within a heartbeat sort of thing, you know, it, the the sense of time and, and scale is just, just a bit off. Yeah. It definitely felt like something that 
because when it was announced that they were going to do a six episode run it kind of feels like if they were going to do that and it was like a single story that the my struggle story would have been the story they would have done Mm. and that maybe the virus would have appeared in like the penultimate episode and then chaos had all broken up by the sixth one and, and things like that whereas this it kind of feels like they've taken an actual story for a miniseries or an actual story for an x-files movie which was kind of the two ways that they were talking about how the the show that the franchise would continue it would mm. either continue as a series of movies or they would try and come back and do a miniseries um if they were doing it as a, as a, as a movie, then that would have been like the two hour story would have been entirely about the, the virus breaking out and them trying to stop it. Uh, and, and in the end it just ends up being, it feels really rushed and truncated and not particularly like that. All of the details seem to be there, but they're not put together in a, in a way that feels emotionally or intellectually satisfying. Yeah. And, and like I said, like genuinely, that struck my struggle the first part like it it, you could have just got rid of it genuinely like what Mm. did it what did it really bring to have those flashbacks to Roswell and things like that because it didn't really make sense I mean again there are things that you could have done in a quicker sort of flashback as part of the story of oh crap there's this outbreak of some sort of virus going on I, I don't know, like, the whole the whole thing is just so badly structured in my head. Like, I feel like I could write it better. And I'm not a writer, but I, I just thought, God, all of these... There's so many things. I actually made a list of them um, when I was watching it the second time around, and I, I won't go through it all, but there's so many things that you could just take out and nothing is lost. And I, I just I just wished, if I have a wish for this, is that they would have just started it when, as you say, something's starting to seem like it's come, going a bit wrong, people are going ill, and you played that story out over maybe six episodes with a few bits of respite here and there to, you know, maybe do other things. But the point is that in the background, there's some crazy crap going down. And, you know, it gives real purpose to why Mulder and Scully maybe need to get back into what they were doing before. Yeah, yeah, this definitely feels like, oh, this should have been the point of the whole series as opposed to the thing that just kind of gets shoved in at the end and i'm also in in the the idea of my struggle part part one being completely superfluous Mm. that episode ends with kind of like the stinger of the cigarette smoking man getting a phone call saying that they've um they've reopened the x-files and everything and he's smoking through his tracheotomy and everything and it's like a nice teaser but then when you watch the second episode you think actually it would be much more effective if that hadn't been in there and the first time you see him is when he's in that hospital in the flashback with monica reyes where yeah. it's like oh he's he's survived but he's really messed up and he's behind it all whereas introducing him earlier like yeah it's a it's kind of a cool stinger and it's a, it's a nice thing for fans but it doesn't really it, it detracts from what could have actually been a more powerful moment if they introduced him later on yeah and i wish i actually him being there was explained that he was a clone or mm-hmm. or he was involved as a flashback or something because, you know, uh, joking about the fact that, you know, people seem to die and come back to life all the time in the X-Files. But genuinely, like, they went to a lot of effort to show his face melting and he was mm-hmm. dying anyway because he'd subjected himself to, I can't remember now, whatever virus hybridization sort of thing. So he was dying and then he died. So the fact that he's back is just... 
Like, I, I, I feel actually angry about that. You'd think as a fan, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, you know, the main, the main evil bad guy, you know, yeah. But really not, really not. I just thought that was particularly stupid. And, and Reyes also, like, she's kind of pointless in this. Mm, yeah, she, she didn't seem to serve any great purpose by revealing that oh she had decided to help the cigarette smoking man and then she tries to help them again it's like that could have been any kind of generic character it didn't need to be her uh, but in terms of the cigarette smoking man as well i was just thinking that if they hadn't introduced him earlier then that means the first time anyone would have seen him would have been in that that vision in babylon yeah and i was kind of thinking that actually would have been really effective because then everyone would have heard oh the cigarette smoking man's coming back and then they would have seen him in a flashback think oh that makes sense he's dead yeah. so they've just seen him in that and then when he comes back and he's actually alive in the third episode it would have been genuinely more shocking because everyone would have been faked out um, yeah yeah exactly uh, also i think uh, kind of mollifying that is that william b davis is great as the cigarette smoking man and he has a great presence and he does a really good job of imbuing a character that could be kind of a one-dimensional villain with kind of a sense of humanity you know and, and kind of, even when he's being monstrous and he's going to doom the world and reshape it in his own image he you can kind of see his point of view he does have a, a kind of ability to do that um so it's nice to see him again but at the same time you think uh, i don't really don't really feel like they needed to bring him back if they did went to such a great effort to show him being blown up with the rocket launcher yeah exactly yeah i mean he's great great actor and he was a great character as well and you know I, I i i enjoyed seeing the human side of him you know they had some episodes during the original run that kind of go more into his background how he got into it as well and things like that but at the end of the day like um him to be the most powerful man is he really needed then there and then you know when this stuff is happening um no because as they sort of they say oh you know this there's going to be an invasion or whatever in 2012 at the in the very last episode of the X-Files. And then they sort of explain that by saying this has been um, sort of started. It's been in train since 2012. So you wonder, oh, does he really need to be here? And then the other thing is, you know, with the rest of the syndicate, as they're called, I always got the impression that the smoking man was subordinate to the others. Like he was the one who went out and did the dirty work. You know, he was always the one saying, oh, we'll fix it. We'll fix it or I'll fix it. But, you know, I kind of got the impression that he wasn't the most powerful. Great baddie, but I never got the impression that he was the most powerful, which kind of made this seem weirder. Yeah, and he also seemed to be running a grift on the other syndicate members in a sense because he was the one who always seemed to be keeping something from them like if there was some mm. disaster that he was responsible for he was the one who was trying to cover it up it wasn't a sense that oh this wouldn't matter because he's the big boss and it doesn't matter it's like oh if they find out that he is messed up he is going to be killed exactly you know, yeah he is middle management so the idea that he i mean i guess because the syndicate broke up he would now move up to upper management but like there's there's no reason why you couldn't introduce a new kind of element, a new villain to do it. Like it doesn't, there's a, there's a sense of continuity and it's nostalgia and fan service. But like, if you're trying to tell a, a good story, it doesn't necessarily have to be him. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you could have done it as a, as a flashback, say where, where they're saying, Oh, this thing's happening now, because as they said, it's been happening since 2012. So there's really no need for anyone to be, or they say it's being triggered by microwaves and chemtrails, aluminium and chemtrails, whatever. 
Um, so they could have shown like the sort of, I guess, operational side of it. But mm. yeah, so it's pointless. Anyway, Ed, I think we need to get to the bloody cliffhanger in the room. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Am I allowed yes. to swear? Yeah, you can. Go ahead. What the fuck? <laughs> I was under the impression, and again, I hadn't really read any interviews or anything in the run-up to this. I was under the impression, as you know, where it says that the truth is out there during the starting credits, and at the start of this episode, it said, this is the end. And I was mm. under the impression that this was the end. Like, it was coming back for six episodes, and that was it. And then that bloody cliffhanger happened really badly. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, everything, the whole thing was billed, like I said earlier, as, as a mini series, which ended up being mini series in quotation marks, because they were like, oh, you know, we're going to bring it back. And you go, like, oh, they're going to maybe wrap up some stuff with the conspiracy or something. And, and it was treated as a limited series in much the same way that the 24 Living of a Day series was, was treated as a mini series, where it's like, you know, we're not going to have a full complement of episodes, but it's going to be, it could function as kind of a finale. But then around about the time the first episode got like 21 million viewers, people started saying, you know, oh, you know, they, it started being billed as season 10 as opposed to its own separate thing. Yeah. And then that's around the point where Pete, you started seeing people in interviews saying like, I think David Duchovny said, oh, you know, we didn't bring it back just to end it. He was like, <laughs> yeah. what do you mean you didn't? That's the reason why everyone was excited yeah. because it felt like you were going to get the ending that we didn't get with the kind of the crappy season nine finale or the the not particularly good second movie yeah yeah and and so i did read an interview or at least a little bit with um chris carter so so as i was watching this and it ended and i was like what and i thought my laptop was broken so i had to go <laughs> check my laptop and i checked the duration of the episode and i went back and checked the duration of the other episodes and then i was like what what is my what's going on and then I, I had to Google it, of course, and found actually, no, no, that's how they intend it to be, which is, is quite galling, really, because, yeah, so I read an interview with Chris Carter afterwards, and he was saying, oh, well, you know, if the ratings are good, then I can't see why Fox wouldn't bring it back for an 11th series. Mm. And so I, it's kind of annoying where they planned this, they knew this. So what if the ratings hadn't been good? Do you know what mm. I mean? It's like they'd engineered this thing, and I was like, oh, my God. I literally couldn't be more angry and frustrated. I mean, despite all the fact that this, I'll just say it, was not a great season for me. I did not enjoy it um, mm -hmm. overall. I was, I couldn't have been more angry at that point. I was like, oh, you bastards. <laughs> yeah, and for, for people who didn't see it, the way the cliffhanger unfolds is that society is in free fall because of this virus that's raging through the place. People are dying, people are getting sick. Scully has developed a vaccine or is working on a vaccine by amplifying her DNA, whatever that means. Um, uh, and she's going to meet Miller and Mulder who have kind of, they went off to meet the cigarette smoking man who gave them a kind of a Faustian bargain, which was, you know, I'll give the, I'll give you the cure and everyone else in the world will die. And they, they decided not to. So they're trying to get back together. Uh, Scully's about to administer the cure for, Mulder when they look up and there's a, there's a spaceship which just kind of shines in it and then the camera moves in on Scully's eye and then it says you know executive producers Chris Carter and Glenn Morgan and it really does feel like such a it's not even like a Sopranos ending where it's like oh what could happen it literally is like oh yeah this is just like we're gonna end here at this point and then in a year's time we'll pick up this story it's clear that they had no intention of actually ending this story in a way that was satisfying and and the fact that they 
deliberately misled people in that assumption that this was going to be kind of just a one-time thing for the for the cast and for the fans uh is kind of it's it's profoundly cheap and cynical yeah super bad and it wasn't even like a good cliffhanger like i say i had to check my laptop wasn't broken Mm. yeah i've just got visions now because just before just before that happens, you know, it's like, oh, he, Mulder's worse than I thought. You know, he needs stem cells, but he's going to need stem cells from William because William will have my alien DNA. And it's like, mm. well, why don't you give him your quote unquote stem <laughs> cells then? But anyway, that's when the UFO shows up. So in my mind, William's on the UFO, of course. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm going with that. But yeah, just so terrible. I mean, the only reason why I was kind of even up for this this whole mini series happening and watching it is because you know I thought it would be the end because I did I didn't I personally didn't feel like I needed any more X Files to mm-hmm. be fair even though the ending of season nine was was quite stupid and unsatisfactory that aside I didn't need any more so the fact yeah. now that they're like oh we're going to be doing more and and especially because like I say this season. I'm ultimately dissatisfied with the entire thing and I think it was really badly done for the most Mm -hmm. part. I just, I'm angry because now I'm going to have to bloody watch even more episodes and I know they're going to (laughs) be terrible or they could well be if they keep the same team on. But yeah, that was kind of my feeling about that. Yeah, it does feel like if they bring it back, it's hard to imagine that creative team, even though there are talented writers on there, it's hard to imagine that if Chris Carter is the one guiding it, that they could kind of pull out of the the, the tailspin that is the show in general. I mean, they they couldn't even really do it in the original run. Once the kind of quality started to slip, it, it kept slipping. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like... Like if this had been six episodes that were all kind of incredible, I think the the, the cliffhanger it would still be galling because yeah. you'd be like, this was clear that you were doing this to kind of manipulate people and make and kind of artificially create a demand for more of it. But at least you kind of would think, okay, I don't mind seeing more of this because it was good. Yeah, um, the fact that it was at best a mixed bag uh, <laughs> is you're being very kind, Ed. Well, I, I, I will say I think that the third the third episode I, I really love and I think that that alone pretty much justifies the revival, but at the same time it's the one that resulted from a ten year old script for a different show. Yeah. So I mean, kind I, of I, I feel like I can completely separate it. And the the other episodes, there's elements I like, but there's nothing in them that makes me think this was necessary. Yeah, exactly. My my general feeling is that it was totally unnecessary. It was done really badly. There's so many problems with this, and 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 then to go do that as well. I mean, the, I mean, I had very few expectations for this. Actually, my one hope, because I think I remember t- talking to you before about this, about how when I was rewatching all the episodes. Um, one mainly was to try and figure out the mythology once and for all, because I swear I'd been mm. trying for like literally two decades and never really got to it. <laughs> and I remember like WhatsApping you and just being like, oh, hey, it turns out that it doesn't actually make any sense and it's just a mess. So mm. I kind of had the one expectation that they might wipe the slate clean and kind of make an explanation, even if it didn't actually fit with everything else from the original run. At least they would make a version that made sense. Um, and the other expectation was simply that, you know, TV 
make the the way we watch TV's changed. So TV's come a long way since then. And obviously, when I was going back to watch the X Files, I was doing so through the lens of the kind of TV we have now. You know, with your Breaking Bad's and your Daredevil, which are great. And and I was kind of hoping that it would be brought forward in that way. And it really, really wasn't. Although I did see where they tried to do certain aspects of things you see in TV today and then failed miserably. So yeah, I, I think overall, I'm just so disappointed, so, so disappointed and saddened by the whole entire thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you in, in general, even though, like I say, there were elements of it I really enjoyed. It does kind of leave me feeling like it was a big wasted opportunity and that it also perhaps augurs bad things for the next couple of years of television because this, you know, this is a big revival. Um, the Twin Peaks revival is coming out next year, which I have higher hopes for just because I feel like David Lynch is a stranger and better artist than Chris Carter. Mm. I think he could do something uh, more interesting with with the show, but it still kind of makes me think that there's limits to the combination between uh, the demands of nostalgia and of an artist trying to tell their own story. Um, there's like people have been trying to get a friends reunion going for years and the success of the success of something like this makes me think that these things are going to keep being, they're going to keep happening and you'll end up with lots of really talented people, talented writers, directors, artists being, uh, being uh, driven to work on stuff. That's just kind of just bringing back an old thing as opposed to, you know, what, what really should happen with stuff like this, which is, um, you know, like Chris Carter was nostalgic for Kolchak the Night Stalker and he created a new show which was essentially Kolchak the Night Stalker, Stalker yeah. but for the 90s rather than creating... Or, or you know, uh, George Lucas was uh, nostalgic for kind of 50s culture and he created American Graffiti. He was nostalgic for the Flash Gordon serials. He created Star Wars. The idea that mm. people take old ideas and recontextualize them in a new way and create new art for a new generation as opposed to this and Fuller House, which apparently is a thing. Uh, where where people just basically say, you know that thing from the past that people forgot about, let's bring it back with the same people, which is yeah. less interesting to me. Yeah, well, the way that I've been talking about this to to John is that they they could they could battle star it because mm -hmm. at this point I feel like to do it well, you really have very little little choice but to sort of go back and start again. So in the similar way with what Battlestar did, where you know, it was the same sort of characters for the most part and, and premise, the premise was the same, but the way they handled it, their treatment of it was was completely different. And I feel like there are so many bits um, that got lost through the X-Files, which were really interesting, like this whole idea of doubt and uncertainty and mm -hmm. perception and, and things like that, which in the first few seasons, you know, is Mulder really seeing what he's seeing or are these people really seeing what they're seeing? Scully's always a few steps behind. She never quite sees. And even when she sees stuff, she's going through emotional trauma, blah, blah, blah. That was super interesting. So you think maybe if they, if they could focus on that bit and come back with the same characters, but obviously in 30 years time with different actors and, and just do it differently and fix the, the mythology, you think, yeah, that would be good. But at this point, given that how they've done it in this season and stuff, yeah, just huge missed opportunity. I, I have very little faith of what will undoubtedly come next. Yep, so grim tidings to all. Um, indeed, indeed. 
Uh, so I think that's a good place to end the episode. Uh, where can people find you online, Twitter and that? My Twitter handle is at A underscore N underscore S. Cool. And you work for Oxford University? The University of Oxford, yeah. So yeah. I'm a science communicator, a public engagement officer. So yeah, I run a website called Oxford Sparks. So if you go to Oxford Sparks, Oxford.ac.uk, you can see lots of really cool science animations and podcasts and things like that. And I'm sure in the future, long dissections of everything that's wrong with the science in the X-Files. <laughs> well, no, like I said, I don't want to do that. It has <laughs> science, science um, inaccurate science and sci-fi does have a place, but there's just a right way to do it. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. It's, the, it's a really good way to get clicks, though. Is it? Yeah, the, the SEO on bad science, I think, is probably pretty high. Uh, that's kind of boring, though, isn't it? It's unimaginative. People don't want imagination. That's why the X-Files opened 21 million viewers. True. Very true. And uh, if you, you know, you can follow this show on uh, Twitter, Facebook and, and all that. So with that said, uh, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. <laughs>